Well, Northside, it is good to be with you this morning as we kick off this new series, and I am really excited about this uh, because this title of Shoes, uh, for all of us, it's going to be an important look as we study at the life of Jesus about how he stepped into the shoes of those around him. Uh, But you know and I know a lot of times, if we're honest, we judge those around us by their shoes. You know, we look at them and go, really, they think those are cute? Oh, my. You know, they have lost their way. Lord, help them. Uh, we, we judge each other on shoes. And a lot of times, we'll not just judge each other on our shoes. If something were to happen, we'll say a phrase like this, come Monday, I don't want to be in their shoes, you know, because we know something bad might be happening, something might be coming up. But shoes have a big daily role in all of our lives. And so here's the goal that we're going after for the next eight weeks. We're going to be looking at the life of Jesus. You know, as we've come off this prayer series and beginning to talk with Jesus right from where we are, we want to grow into the next season and have God form our hearts to be people, followers of Jesus, who are willing not just to look at the shoes around us, but just like Jesus, that we would step into the shoes around us. See, this is who Jesus is. He didn't just come to this earth and kind of look at everybody around and go, well, you don't have it together. You know, sometimes we say, and in Scripture, this is what we believe, that Jesus wasn't just fully God. We also believe that he was fully man and that he stepped into our shoes. He's no, he knows what it's like to be human, to go through pain, to go through suffering. Matter of fact, John chapter 1, one of his best friends writes this about Jesus in verse 14. He says, the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us, that God sent Christ and he stepped into our shoes. Sometimes we look at Jesus and we think he's just, he's kind of like us, but he's not really. He's like Superman, right? He's like Clark Kent, you know. He's kind of has the disguise, but underneath he's the man of steel. We even say stuff like this about God. Well, I mean, I'm down here, but the big man up there. And God is always out there, but God is never here. And what we forget in John chapter 1 is this. No, Jesus came here and he stepped in our shoes. I love how the message, Eugene Peterson translates this passage. When he translates John 1, chapter 14, he says this. He says, the word became flesh and blood. And then listen what he said. I love this. He said, and he moved into the neighborhood. He became our neighbor. He began to know what was going on in our lives. You know that about neighbors. You know what's going on. You know the ticks. For some of you, you said this, I wish they would mow their lawn, right? I wish they would paint their fence, right? I see some of you going, hallelujah. Yes, you know, you know. We know when we get close, we know what's going on with those around us. And here's the deal about shoes, if I can be honest, about our own life. After a while, shoes stink, don't they? We all have that pair. I've got that mowing pair of shoes. You will never see them at church. You know why? Because they just don't stink. You know what those shoes do? Those shoes stank, right? You know, it goes to, a, it goes to another level of stink. And what's amazing is this. Jesus sees us not just in our stink, but in our stank, And he says, no, I've come to live life with you. And the whole goal of this series is this, that we would begin to develop and live the heart of Jesus 
Uh, There's nothing wrong with sympathy, but sympathy says this. Sympathy says, I am sorry for you. Empathy, in the way of Jesus, says this. I'm not just sorry for you. It says this. I am sorry with you. And there's a big difference between being for somebody and being with somebody, isn't there? My psychology professor in Bible college said this phrase. He defined empathy in the best way I could summarize for you so you can understand what Jesus is and who he is and what he's going to be forming in us over the next eight weeks as we look at his life and we begin to take his life on. And his definition of empathy is this. Empathy is this. You might want to write this down. It is your hurt and my heart. It's your hurt and my heart. See, when Jesus took on flesh and blood, he took on our heart, a hurt, into his heart. And today, if you walked in, you saw the lobby set up a little bit different. And today, here's I want to let you know, we're not just going to be talking about, hey, we're going to learn how to step into other people's shoes around us. Today, this is where we're going. This is something that only God can orchestrate. We're not just going to talk about it. You're going to have an opportunity today to step into the shoes of someone in need today. To not just say, I'm sorry for you, but to say, I am sorry with you. And I'm going to step into your shoes. And I love this, how we can come up with ideas of series, but really only God is the one orchestrating and moving things, and we're just following him. And I had this series created. You know, our team came up with this, and we said, man, let's go in this direction. And then in May, I had a buddy, Michael Chitwood, who called me. And I don't know if he has any relation to Jimmy Chitwood, but who's your fans? I think he's a good man, all right? And, uh, you know, Michael Chitwood, I've known him for over 16 years when he was doing youth ministry at Youth for Christ in Champaign, Illinois. And uh, he called me and he said, Nate, uh, he works for this organization called World Vision. And if you know anything about World Vision, they are the first, this is something incredible, they are the leading non-government provider of clean water to the world. And do incredible. They're the first responders to the disasters. They're working in Syria with the refugee crisis. They're working all over the world doing unbelievable work. And he called me and said, Nate, we have this new opportunity to help people step into the shoes of those who have no one to step into their shoes. He said, if you know anything about child sponsorship, he goes, you know, we've kind of done this thing. He goes, but there's a new thing that we're doing, and we would love for Northside to be part of it. He goes, do you have any series or any things coming up about talking about stepping into the people's shoes? As a pastor, I can't lie. And I said, well, yeah, actually, we do. And he said, man, I would love to partner with you all in this way. And so after the service, you're going to have it. You're going to hear a moment from Michael. You're going to hear his story, and you're going to hear how Jesus stepped into the shoes of others. And today, you and I, my family, we stepped into the shoes of a child in need last night. And you're going to have a phenomenal opportunity to do that, every one of us, after this service in an incredible way. But let me just give you a quick story before Michael comes up and he shares about what God is doing in the world and how we can partner with World Vision to make an incredible impact in this world. Uh, And when Michael was 25, uh, his dad went in for a routine uh, shoulder surgery, and he never recovered. And he passed in the hospital and just lost his dad when he was 25. And it was a pretty dark time for him. And in that time, a couple of years later, he decided, you know what? He's never run a 5K. He's weighing like 265 pounds. He's like, I'm going to run a marathon. Michael, that had to only be of the Lord, man, because that doesn't make sense to any of us. But when he started training that summer for that marathon, the Lord, the Lord started speaking to his heart. 
And he said, Michael, I have plans for you in the midst of this, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to use marathons to raise funds to help those in need so that they can know me. And this was back in 2006, and Michael stepped into God's calling for his life. And since 2006, this is what God has done through him, through the midst of the brokenness and the pain. Michael has stepped into the shoes, and this is what he gives his life to now, stepping into the shoes of those who have nobody to step into him. And since 2006, he has helped 60,000 people run marathons and has raised $60 million for clean water in this world in the name of Jesus. And it is amazing. He's run seven Ironmans now, 20-plus marathons, a 100-mile race, all this other stuff. That's your calling, not mine. And... um, But he has committed God's calling on his life to say, Michael, your life is to help others step into the shoes. And so right now, would you welcome Michael Chitwood to the stage? Thanks, brother. It's good to be here with you, Northside. Today is going to be an epic, world-changing kind of day. These are my stanky shoes. And they stank. These are my running shoes. And these shoes actually hit their mileage limit two weeks ago. Now, that may sound strange to you if you're not a runner, but running shoes actually have a mileage limit where the cushioning wears out before the shoes look like they're worn out. And most people get about 500 or so miles out of a pair of running shoes. Well, my brother David and I have always worn the same size shoe, a size 14, which is kind of uncommon. And David didn't always have a lot of money. He's, he's a house painter. And would be out of work a few months a year, and so he didn't get new shoes very often. So I would always give him my old running shoes, and he would be so grateful to have a pair of shoes that to him seemed new. Well, there's a saying that you probably all know that says you don't really know someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes. And I love that. Like Nate said, Jesus was always trying to step into the shoes of others, identify with them, and walk a mile with them. Well, Nate shared, I lost my dad when I was 25, and he died very suddenly. And when he died, it rocked our family. To be honest, it nearly shattered my faith permanently. But it hit me and my brothers a little differently. This is a picture of me and my brothers, Dan and Dave, at my wedding. Um, If we got that, we got Dan and Dave were both older than me. They were five and seven years older than me. And in my wedding, they were my best men. And when we lost My dad, my brother Dan and I were actually doing youth ministry together at Youth for Christ at the time. And we had each other to lean on. But my brother David was back home in Grand Rapids, Michigan, dealing with the loss of our dad alone in a much different way. Losing our dad was like a lifeline had been cut for my brother David. See, David battled alcoholism, obesity, and depression. And my dad was always someone in David's life who was a constant source of love and encouragement. And after my dad died, David started to spin more and more out of control. His drinking got worse. He kept gaining weight. And he kept sinking deeper and deeper into depression. One time, David told my mom this. He said, Mom, it's not that I don't believe God can forgive me. He said, I'm not sure if he should. David felt unforgivable. He felt unlovable. He just couldn't understand why God would choose to love him, why God would choose him for anything. Some of you may be here today, and those might be the shoes you're in. Well, I'm going to share with you about a guy 
who Jesus chose to love, who the rest of the world felt was unlovable. And I want to share with you why I think this guy's response to Jesus was so inspiring. So I want you to join me as we step into the shoes of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. The story of Zacchaeus is in Luke chapter 19, and it goes like this. Zacchaeus, or Jesus, entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector in the region. And he'd become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your home today. So Zacchaeus quickly climbed down the tree and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone on their taxes, I'll pay them back four times as much. And Jesus responded by saying, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Well, I want to look at a few interesting things about this story. First off, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Not just any tax collector, but the chief tax collector. So tax collectors were Jewish guys who were paid by Rome, the occupying military force, to collect taxes from their Jewish brothers and sisters. But here's the deal. They were given free reign. They had a set amount of money they had to collect, but anything they could get above that, they were allowed to skim off the top and keep for themselves. These guys were shady dudes. They were viewed as traitors by their Jewish brothers and sisters. Zacchaeus had gotten rich off the backs of his own people. So why in the world is this guy, this tax collector, trying to see Jesus anyway? Well, we can't say for sure, but we know this. He was at least curious. He'd been hearing talk about this guy that was going around healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, raising people from the dead. He'd heard about Jesus' teachings and how it was different from anything he'd ever heard before. So he had a stirring in his heart. He had to see this guy, Jesus. But there's a few small problems. First of all, he knew he was not welcome in this crowd. And second of all, the crowd is huge and Zacchaeus is short. So he runs ahead, climbs the sycamore fig tree just to try to catch a glimpse of Jesus. And this is where an unusual story gets even more strange. Jesus comes by, sees him, calls him out by name, and invites himself over to his house. Now, First of all, y'all are not supposed to invite yourself over to someone's house. You know that, right? That's rude. So Jesus is being rude here. But Jesus doesn't care. He's a rule breaker. He's like, Zach, I'm coming to your house. Get some snacks ready, please. So what's Zacchaeus do? He climbs down, takes Jesus to his house, and he's stoked. He was just hoping to catch a glimpse of this guy, and now the guy's coming to his house. And what happens? The people watching this are mad. Y'all know how people can get. They are judgmental people. So they can't understand why is Jesus going to this guy's house? This guy's a sinner. But I think that Jesus choosing to go to the house of Zacchaeus fits perfectly with who Jesus is. Jesus was constantly spending time with people on the margins, those who the religious folks deemed unworthy. So while it may have been puzzling to everyone else why 
why, Zac- why Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, I think it fits perfectly with who he is. Jesus loves people who the world says are unlovable. Do you know this? That no matter what you've done, no matter what you have ever done in your life, there is nothing that could ever put you beyond the reach of God's love. God loves you. And you know what? God loves the people that you struggle to love. And he loves the people that I struggle to love. Jesus chose Zacchaeus because that's what Jesus does. That's who he is. But how do you think it felt to Zacchaeus to be chosen? It had to be mind-blowing, right? Zacchaeus knew what other people thought of him. In fact, I, I have to think that Zacchaeus probably had some of the same feelings my brother David had. Why would Jesus choose me? I don't deserve this. Why would he love me? When my brother David told my mom that he didn't think he deserved God's love, it broke my heart. But you know what? To be honest, David was kind of right. None of us deserve God's love. There's nothing we could ever do to earn God's love. But the amazing thing is he chooses to love us anyway, just as we are. And for myself, I know, like Zacchaeus knew, like my brother knew, that I don't deserve God's grace, his love, and his mercy. And I'm blown away by the fact that he loves me anyway. And I'm blown away by the fact that he loves some of the people that I have a hard time loving. But he does. So let's come back to see how Zacchaeus responds to Jesus because it's pretty radical and it's pretty inspiring. So while all these people are standing around talking and gossiping about about Zacchaeus and complaining about him, here's what he's doing. He's standing in front of Jesus saying this, Jesus, I'm going to give away half my money to help the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to pay them back four times as much. Man, I love this guy Zacchaeus. He just met Jesus and he went all in right out of the gate. But I also find his response kind of interesting. Why is Zacchaeus' first response to the love of Jesus to give a bunch of his money away to help the poor? Well, I believe that Zacchaeus knew something about God's heart for those living in poverty. Did you know that Jesus talked more about helping the poor and caring for the vulnerable than just about anything else he talked about in his time on earth? If you reread the Gospels and the story of Jesus, you will see how much he talks about it. And in fact, in the Bible, there's more than 2,000 verses that talk about how God expects us to care for the poorest and most vulnerable of our brothers and sisters. Here's a few Old Testament Bible verses that Zacchaeus would have known very well. If you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And maybe he'd even heard about Jesus' teachings about caring for the poor. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells us that when we feed the hungry and give drink to the thirsty, when we take care of the sick and visit those in prison, when we welcome the stranger, we're actually doing those things for him. We're actually loving Jesus. In fact, he says, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, it's like you did it for me. Jesus says that those who the world calls the least, he calls his family. God's heart for the poor and vulnerable is clear 
throughout the Bible and throughout Jesus' ministry. You see, our culture tells us more for me, more for me, more for me. If I have it, it's because I earned it. But Jesus says, nothing you have is yours. It all belongs to him. And he wants you to use it for his purposes. Did you know that right now in this world, there are 850 million people who don't have access to safe water? Kids that walk to get water that could take their lives. And one in eight people in the world go to bed hungry every night. In fact, thousands of kids will die today from hunger-related issues. I believe that Zacchaeus understood, at least at some level, that Jesus cares about how we treat the most vulnerable of our brothers and sisters. And I think that Zacchaeus' response to Jesus, his proclamation of giving half his stuff away, wasn't made out of guilt. It's simply a proclamation of this. Jesus, everything I have is yours. And I want you to use it to accomplish your kingdom purposes here on earth. So then, what should our response be to God's overwhelming and undeserving love for us? Simply this to love him back and pass it on. Love him back and pass it on. There was a time when some religious leaders were trying to trip Jesus up, so they asked him this question. All right, Jesus, what do you say is the greatest of all the commandments? And Jesus replies with this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest, but then Jesus catches him up, and he says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Love him back and pass it on. These worn out running shoes on this table are a painful reminder to me that I'm not promised tomorrow. None of us are promised tomorrow. You see, these days when my running shoes hit their mileage limit, I don't have anyone to give them to anymore. It's about eight years after my dad passed away, my brother David lost his battle with alcoholism, obesity, and depression. He was 38 years old when he passed away, and he left behind four young kids without their dad, his young wife without her husband. And then just as I was catching my breath and getting back up on my feet, a few years after we lost David, my brother Dan died from a sudden heart attack. Dan was 45 years old. He was a pastor up in Fort Wayne. He also had four young kids. He left without their dad, his young wife without her husband. These guys were my best friends, and losing them absolutely crushed my spirit. Those are the shoes I'd been walking in. But I'll never forget the day that God allowed me to step into the shoes of a little girl in Kenya. See, a, a year after we lost David, I had the opportunity to go to this small rural village in Kenya to meet my World Vision sponsor child, Maureen, and her family. And when I met them, they had literally no access to safe water. In fact, Maureen had to walk down a mountain two or three miles every single day to get water that could make her sick, water that could take her life. They always wondered where their next meal was coming from, no access to health care. The school she went to was a wooden shack infested with termites. Her family has needs and fears and worries, the likes of which I've never had to know. 
But while her mom, Josephine, has been praying for a better life for her kids, back home thousands of people have been stepping up to sponsor kids in their community. And now everything has changed. They now have access to safe water. They have a health care clinic in their community. Her school is now one of the best I've ever seen. She now has the opportunities to pursue God's purpose for her life. If you would have told me a decade ago that sponsoring Maureen for $39 a month could change her life and radically change my life too, I'm not sure I would have believed you. But folks, I can tell you it absolutely has. Here's the deal. There is more pain and heartache in this world than we can possibly imagine. Some of you are walking through the greatest painful experience of your life right now. Here's what God's taught me about pain. There's often very little we can do about our own pain. But there is always something we can do to relieve the pain of others. And in my life, part of my response to God's love for me has been to do my best to love God and to pass it on. My life has been forever changed by that one simple decision, that choice to sponsor Maureen. And I truly believe that God chose her to be my sponsor child. And today I want to invite each and every one of you to experience the power of being chosen. When I called Nate with this idea that we were, that God was leading us in, I said, Nate, is there a part of the world that Northside is connected to? And he said, yeah, we got a real heart for Guatemala. And I said, listen, man, there are two communities that World Vision just started working in, in Guatemala. And there are 1,700 kids waiting for someone to sponsor them. These are amazing people, strong people, good people who just need a chance. And today I'm asking each and every single one of you to consider stepping up in the life of a child to be their sponsor. And here's the deal. Typically, here's how we would do this. After church, you'd go out in the lobby and there'd be a bunch of picture folders with kids' faces on them. And you'd just pick the cutest kid you could find. You'd fill out the form and you'd sponsor that kid. But last year, God gave us at World Vision. He gave us a World Vision that's turning our hearts inside out and flipping our world upside down. And he's asking us to flip the whole thing on its head. And we've been led to ask this simple question. What else could we do to affirm the inherent dignity that God has already given each and every one of these kids? What would it look like if from the very first step in the relationship with their sponsor. What would it look like if for the first time ever, we let the kids choose us? So today we wanna to give you the opportunity to be chosen by one of these amazing kids in Guatemala. If you're ready to join us, here's what's gonna happen. After the service, you're gonna go out in the lobby and you're gonna take the most epic photo you've ever taken. I mean, I want you smiling ear to ear. I want your kids with you. I want your spouse with you. You need to make this the most epic picture ever. Here's why. Because tomorrow morning, me and some of your pastors are getting on a plane. And we're going to take your pictures to these communities in Guatemala. And in a couple days, we're going to hang them up on the wall of a church. And these kids are going to come in and they're going to get to make the first choice in this relationship. And they're going to choose you. And then next Sunday, when you come back here, 
there's going to be an envelope with your name on it. And when you open it, there's going to be a picture of a little kid in Guatemala holding your family's picture. And there's going to be a letter from them telling you why they felt led to choose you. Y'all, I got to tell you, this is turning my heart inside out. My wife and I already sponsor several kids. I've had the privilege to meet all of them, but we're in. We're in. I signed up this morning. Me and my family are in with Northside to be chosen by a kid in one of the communities you're going to be partnering with. I'm so excited about this. There's really, really no way to tell you how special it is. So I just want to take a second for you to see. We've only done this with two churches. Today, Northside, you are helping make history and change the world. Take a look at what it looked like at one of the churches we tried this with. Thanks. Michael called, I couldn't, uh, couldn't pass up this opportunity for us as a church to step into the shoes of those that have nobody to step into their shoes. See, the beauty of this concept is that these kids never get to make a choice in their life. They don't choose what they eat. They don't choose what they wear. They don't choose what they drink. They don't choose what school they go to. They don't choose the doctor they see. They just have to inherit everyday environments around them. And when we step into the shoes like Christ stepped into ours, everything changes. And today, this is the call for us as the church to be the church. To say, Jesus, you have stepped into our life. And we are going to step into the lives of those around the world. And here's how this is going to happen. If God is calling your heart to step into this, uh, my family, when we heard this, we've been praying. We've seen that video. We've watched it a ton. My four-year-old knows where Guatemala is, or at least he says he does. And uh, it's that country down south. That's all he can say. Uh, but I love that World Vision came to us, and they didn't just say, here's where you should go. They said, where is God leading you to choose? And we're saying, God, there's a spring trip for our high school students that are already lined up. Our, our adults are going as well in Guatemala. It has been on our heart. And there's two villages, Aguacatan and Chalanta, that we are partnering with. And my prayer, as soon as he said, there were 1,700 kids waiting to be chosen. 
I just said, man, what if we took a swing at it and we could help at least half of those kids on that list? That we would step in and we would sponsor 850 as a church. As that was my prayer. I don't know what the Lord will do. He might do more than that. But here's how we want to do this. After service, after I pray here in a second for us, you got this card when you came in. And if you're just feeling led, like Michael was saying, this is all you got to do. Uh, just text the word chosen uh, to 56170. And here's what will happen. There will be a small form for you to fill out. You, you fill that form out, and then you go and you get in line out in the lobby. We have photo booths set up in the cafe, in the lobby, across the atrium. We've got them everywhere. If you don't want in the line, there's even a selfie option, all right? And take a good selfie if you go, I don't have a phone. Hey, we got iPads. You can go out there, and you can sign up through that. But Northside, I just want to be honest, especially as we start this series. I just don't want to talk about it. I want to be about it. I want to be about it. Not just in Guatemala, but right here and in our home to say, Jesus, you have stepped into our shoes. Would you change our hearts to be people that step in to the shoes of others? Let me pray for us, and then we'll step into some shoes today. Father, thank you for this opportunity. God, we didn't plan it. This isn't something of our staff and spirit. This is something of you. So we just thank you for leading and being generous to us to partner with us. That Jesus, you would see us right where we are in our brokenness. And you would step in to heal us with your grace and your mercy. And Father, thank you for stepping into the life of Michael and leading him now to continue to step into the shoes of others for the rest of his life. Jesus. This is your church. This is your world. So we are your people. And we will follow you with our hearts. Father, would we listen and would we be generous and would we be bold today to not just thank you for stepping into our shoes, but step into the shoes of others. We do this by your grace and your mercy, not by our efforts, Jesus. And it's in your name that everybody said together, Amen. Let's go step into some shoes today, everybody. God bless you.